Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well today. Happy Sunday. Just wanted to uh, take a moment and thank you all and thank Pastor um, for allowing me the privilege of filling in the pulpit today. Um, Pastor and Simo Diane, they are on the road and they're, uh, they're going to be back with us uh, next week. So we're looking forward to their return. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we're going to be diving in passage and it's titled Fellowship with God. Um, in case you're sitting here and you're wondering and you're listening in and thinking, uh, why First John? And why not continue on with Romans? Um, I have a very, very, very good explanation for that. Um, I'm not qualified. <laughs> I'm no good. Um, about a month ago when Pastor came and talked to me and said like, hey, would I like to be uh, filling in the pulpit today for today's service? Um, I was secretly terrified. Um, because I know that Calcer's preaching out of for me. Romans is a wonderful book of the Bible. It's great. Um, however, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around it and everything that Paul writes in it. I'm just not wired to sort of figure out and appreciate um, the fullness of the text. To be honest with you guys, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the theoretical physics the time dilation, the time travel, and the existence of the fifth dimension in the movie Interstellar. Have you guys heard of Interstellar? Yeah, it came out in 2014. I'm still trying to figure it out. So Pastor was really gracious and said that I could craft a message today around Christian fellowship. And that's where we're at. So let's begin. First John chapter one, verses one through seven. What was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was revealed and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard and we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things I write so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Those are some really powerful words. And before we get into it and break things down, um, for me personally, and if you guys have heard me before, I really like going over the historical sort of uh, understanding and setting first. It's just something that I, I appreciate and helps me uh, gain a better understanding of things. So what was it like in Asia during this time when 1 John was written? This was between 70 to about 90 AD. What were some of the issues and the thoughts of the day that were being brought up in the church and made for the cultural zeitgeist during this time? During this time period, from historical reference, we know that this entire area, this real estate, this land was very fertile. It was able to successfully grow crops. And because of that, because the land was good, 
people started flocking in and they started building the infrastructure around that area. So it wasn't a surprise to see ports and other important signifiers of wealth, big buildings, powerful buildings, buildings that could um, make the community thrive and could bring in more money and really helped the growth of that area. Now all this is to say that in this time, in this area of Asia Minor, they just had thriving communities. So naturally, these places, they would attract a lot of people. They wanted to come in and be a part of the goodness, so they wanted to take advantage of the abundance, of the access, and of all the amenities that only a thriving, flourishing community like this in this area could offer. So naturally, the more people, the more thinkers, the more thinkers, the more philosophy, the more philosophies, the more perspectives that was available in the area. And during this time, the churches established by John in Asia dealing with issues, like all churches deal with issues, but for them, their issues dealt around the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel, the truth of salvation, and other schools of thought that directly contradicted and also were in clear opposition to the foundations of faith that were taught to these believers when the gospel was first introduced to them. According to a commentary that I read, the radical ideas that we were just mentioning and talking about, the ones that were challenging these original teachings that John had brought forth into the areas, they weren't being put out there by newcomers or strangers. They're being put out there by prominent leaders and established leaders in the churches and others in the church body. They were the ones that raised these questions. So for example, one was whether Christ was an actual person or maybe just a uh, philosophical symbol. Now while all this was happening, there were people that were falling astray, adopting a lot of what was being said, taking a lot of these ideas, taking their own, and sort of mixing everything together. They were coming up with their own versions of faith, their own versions of the gospel. They were forming their own unique approach to the Christian faith. And I don't mean to paint such a, a bleak picture for everyone, uh, because on the other side, there were believers, there were Christians that held steadfast, and they held on to John's teachings. And amidst of all of these new ideologies and perspectives and philosophy and all these things that were coming up, they stood their ground. But I imagine that it was probably hard to stand against the tide of all of these different ideas that were prevalent in their community, in their society. And on top of that, leaders that they've come to know and trust and respected were doing the same. And so this is the context of where we're at when 1 John is being written to these believers, to the churches in Asia. Let's take a look at the first four verses. John begins the letter by saying, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen, we saw him. 
with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy. John's letter starts off in these first four verses, making it 100% clear, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus was not some sort of philosophical symbol. He was flesh. He was like you and me. He was breathing. He was living. He ate. He slept. He was a person. And John says, I know this for a fact because I was there with him breaking bread, hanging out, living life. I'm an eyewitness. Christ was a man. He was not made up. In those same verses, a third thing that I noticed was that he said, Christ is the Word. Capital W, Word. The Word was with the Father before he was revealed to John and the apostles. He was there at the very beginning. So what that means for those believers sitting in those seats, listening and processing and thinking through everything that John is introducing, it means that everything had a purpose and that everything was planned from the very beginning. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't ad hoc. It wasn't improvised along the way. And it definitely didn't need a retcon to make sense of it all. Now, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, what did he just say? What's a retcon? You guys weren't paying attention to English class. In high school rhetoric, you learn that retcon stands for retroactive continuity. It's a literary device where it basically says that all the facts and established theory in a work of fiction needs to be reset so that new canon, by the way, that's one and not two, that it doesn't butt heads with the new stuff. Feel free to put that uh, lit device in your, in your uh, knowledge fanny pack. In case you guys were wondering, um, by trade, training, and vocation, I am a high school English teacher. So I work in Chicago Public Schools, done so for about 20 years. Um, so that's where we get that. So hopefully you remember Redcon. It didn't need that. It was planned from the very beginning. It didn't have to be reset. It doesn't have to sort of fit into any weird box. So going back to John, John is saying that our faith in Christ is not fiction. Parts of it, sections of it, do not need to be altered or ignored or supplemented or adjusted for the sake of contradiction. It doesn't need to be twisted or manipulated as these new ideologies were infiltrating the church. Their faith does not have to be recontextualize to fit the paradigms of their society in that modern age. 
And so even though these letters are written a little under 2,000 years ago, as I was looking through them, I really got the sense that they're still relevant for us today in 2023 and relevant for us as a Cornerstone Community Church in the south side of Chicago or south loop of Chicago. John is telling that all of these believers that they can take heart. If you have been staying steadfast, you can take heart. You can be encouraged. You can be uplifted because we are reminded that we are in genuine fellowship with the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ, who were together at the very beginning, like none of this was haphazard or improvised. This fellowship was intentional. It was purposeful. It was designed to be exactly as it was proclaimed to you when you first heard it and were introduced to it before all this other stuff came in. This fellowship is one that we shared so that we may turn and have fellowship with us and with the Father and with the Son and all this is written so that we may fully share in this joy together. That means to all of my brothers and sisters who remain Christ-centered and that you didn't stray away from the faith by these false leaders, you are not alone. We are with you. You are a part of something greater, more powerful than the dominions of this day and this age. And I hope that you felt what I felt the first time I poured into these first four verses this morning. The strength of those words, the reminder of the inherent, undeniable authority of Christ. What an impactful encouragement to the believer who may have been wavering, who may have been at the end or nearing the end of his or her rope. What a call to remain firm in our Christian conviction after these first four verses. I'm hooked. I hope you guys are hooked too. I'm all ears and I'm ready to dive in. After hearing those first four, for first four verses, it felt like I just had my morning double latte espresso cappuccino, Turkish Americano, extra strength, ice Vietnamese, Maracciano, Cuban cafe a lait. <laughs> Was that convincing? Did I sound like a professional barista? I don't drink coffee, so I have no idea. To be honest with you, all I did was Google up coffee drinks and I just put that Street Fighter combo together. <laughs> but I hope, I really hope that all that, everything that I just said really helped convey for us to help us really dive in to these next three verses. On a side note, I would really encourage everyone here to go back and read First John. Really set up these letters, this chapter um, this reading to, to really get us to think about these issues and these things that are in the church. For the purposes of today, we're only going to take a look at verses five through seven. And so after those first four verses, being encouraged, being reminded that you need to stay strong, that you can stay strong, that everything that you were taught, it was 100% accurate yesterday, today, and it'll be accurate forever goes on to verse five. This is a message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light 
and he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right away, without holding back, John answers and addresses the question that's probably on every single believer's minds as they're going through this entire Asian society, living life, hearing all of this that's being said in the church. Right away, John addresses the question of, who do I believe? These are my leaders. These are the people who are in charge. Like, who do I believe? And how do I know? How do I know that this is the truth? Who do I believe and how do I know that I should believe in them? Now remember, these false teachers, they were preaching inaccurate ideology. They were the trusted, established leaders within their churches. Some of these were shepherds that the flock looked to and listened to, that they went to for spiritual guidance and for leadership. However, somewhere down the line, they might have lost their way. And John is addressing that concern. And how do you know who to follow? How do you know what to believe? How can you tell the difference? And John gives a church of that time, and I think for us in 2023, four ways, four steps to help us answer that question of who do I believe? How do I know? First, Verse five, this is a message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. You want us to think about that for a moment so that I can smoothly drink a little bit of water. And let me read, for that, read that for us again. This is a message that we have heard from him and announce to you that God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Here's what I learned as I was thinking through those verses. Very easy, very straightforward. God is light. That is his nature. That is his character. You want to know who you can trust and who you can believe? And how do you figure that out? First, you and me, them, all of us, we need to know God's character. We need to know what he stands for, what is categorized in his light. And then we can tell the difference that everything that is not in the light is then categorized as darkness. There is no middle. There's only light. There's only dark. And in God's presence, when he's around, darkness cannot exist. It will not be there. The two are not symbiotic. Light and dark, they do not coexist. So the first step to figuring out and to keep our minds and hearts clear, we need to know God's character. What is he all about? What does he stand for? What does he represent? So all those teachers, all of those leaders who are doing what they're supposed to, who is preaching in accordance to the light, who understand his character, those are the ones that you trust. Those are the ones that you listen to. Those leaders who know God's character will not lead you astray because God is consistent. He is the same yesterday, forever, today, forever. 
He doesn't waver. He doesn't change up. He doesn't manipulate himself to fit into our paradigm. So if we know his character and those who share and those who lead according to God's character, you can trust them. Next in verse six, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Who do we believe and how will we know? If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We're going to take a look at that first chunk. And the English part of me just couldn't break up um, or just couldn't resist but break up that first, you know, set of words because there's a semicolon right in between. So we're just going to take a look at that and answer the question, who do we believe? How do we know? And here in this first part of verse 6, if those people who claim to be Christian and walk in darkness do those things and say those things and think those things are opposite of God's character. You don't believe those people. If we see inconsistencies in their life and character and speech, that's a red flag. If they claim to be Christians and choose darkness, they're lying and not telling the truth. You don't follow those guys. You don't believe lessons that they're putting out. Do not follow those that live out of our beliefs. And it reminded me and it kept me thinking that you will know them by the fruit that they bear. The next part. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So who do you believe? How do I know? If we align our beliefs, our worldviews, our values, our words, our actions, our thoughts of the character of God, we will have a partnership and a connection to those who are also doing the same. It'll be a natural fit. You'll be able to vibe with them because the foundation of yours, our connection to other believers is God's character, his goodness, his values, his worldview. And when we follow in his light, we'll have a natural connection with those who are also seeking to do the same. The next part, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. None of us are perfect. We are all undergoing the process of sanctification. We're all being refined. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And here's the final step. Who do I believe? How will I know? Those who know God's character and is pursuing him with all their hearts, when confronted with the darkness in our lives, it's going to lead to repentance. It's going to lead to repentance. It's going to lead us to a place where we realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. That no one can gain audience or vibe with the Father by our accomplishments, by our own successes, by our W's, by our own perfection. The access is only granted through Christ. 
That means those who proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as the only way to the Father, those are the ones you should follow. You'll be able to sense their humility, their humbleness, and their practice of living honest, repentant lives. They will turn away from the darkness as imperfect as we are. We'll turn away from the darkness. We'll turn to the light and know that Jesus is the only way to be in fellowship with God. Christ's sacrifice is the only thing that will absolve us and will make things right. And so those are the first seven verses in the context of John speaking to the church, addressing the concerns of the day. And as I studied and looked more and prepared for today, one thing that kept coming up to me was this word fellowship. As you remember, early I did mention that, you know, pastor spared me from having to, to study Romans. Um, and so looking at this, I was thinking, well, all right, this word fellowship keeps coming up. Fellowship is mentioned several times in these first seven verses. There's fellowship with God. There's fellowship with each other, with fellow believers. As much as John wrote this letter to the church to encourage and pastor and help lay out the criteria to figure out who to believe and how to know, I think John is also teaching us um, what godly Christian fellowship should look like and the role that it plays in our lives. Like, what does it mean? How can we tell? What are some of the characteristics of Christian fellowship? So today, I want to share three things I learned about fellowship when I was studying John. The first one is that Christian fellowship is a privilege. Secondly, Christian fellowship is a responsibility. Third, Christian fellowship is an encouragement. Now, the word fellowship, according to Google, it means a friendly association, especially with people who share your interests. So other words that help us gain a bigger picture understanding of this definition of fellowship, synonyms and other things, would be words such as camaraderie, closeness, togetherness, solidarity, friendship. So fellowship, that friendship, that togetherness can be around shared interests like basketball or anime or cooking or eating or K-pop or drinking, decor or charcuterie. But today I wanna to talk about Christian fellowship first as a privilege. Privilege is a special advantage. It's an immunity. It's a protection. And I want you to think about that as we talk about fellowship as a privilege. Because it means that as we live in a day and age where all, all of us are constantly surrounded and bombarded by messages and values and schools of thought, approaches to life, we're better equipped to handle all of those perspectives and messages that the world puts out there for some of us who are older, TV, for some of us who are cooler, social media, newspapers, YouTube videos. I want you to think of it, and I know this is a poor illustration, but imagine you're baking a tray of cookies and they're ready and you open the oven and you reach for the cookies with your bare hands. You're gonna get burned. Probably gonna spend the next several days putting ointment on, recovering, making sure that the burns heal. However, though, if you put on a mitt before you reach for those cookies, you can hold on to that tray all day and you're gonna be okay. 
No burns. No pain. I want you to think about that. Fellowship is a privilege. If we have Christian fellowship, it gives us special immunity, special advantage and protection against all the other things in the world. Secondly, Christian fellowship is a responsibility. It's work. Work that's going to bear fruit and bear fruit for God's kingdom. In verse 7, John writes the first that we will walk in his light. We will have fellowship, partnership, solidarity, closeness, friendship with each other. That's the first thing that John brought up. Now that second half of the verse, in that section, it always kind of boggled my mind. You ask anyone, when they talk about, oh, what sort of relationships, like, oh yeah, I want friends, I want friends. Why do you want friends? I'll ask my students that all the time, like, why do you guys want friends? Well, you know, friends are important. Why are friends important? Well, you know, obviously, um, my life is gonna be richer with friends. There's gonna be someone to be there for me. Someone that I can connect with, that I can get along with. We can do everything together. That's what we call best friends. But you know what I rarely hear? I don't hear people say often enough that I want to be a good friend. That I want to get along with somebody else. That I want to do everything together with another person. I want to be there for them. I want to enrich someone's life. I want friends in my life so that I can enrich them and be there for them. Think about that. Friendship, fostering friendship takes work. And fellowship takes work. The work of building strong friendship or fellowship with our church community takes work. And it is work that God is calling us to do. I may be reading into the phrasing too much, and I apologize for that. But I wonder, why didn't John, in verse 7, talk about cleansed by the blood of Christ before talking about believers having fellowship. Why was he saying that if we're in the light that we will have fellowship with each other and the blood of Christ will cleanse us? Why not the Christ of blood will cleanse us first? I think it was by design. I think the phrasing there invites us to participate and contribute to the work of growing fellowship in our church. And the relationship we build and foster affords us the unique opportunity to speak truth into each other's lives. It affords us the opportunity to keep one another accountable in our walk in God's light. Fellowship helps us to stay on the path of the straight and narrow. I think we are called to participate. It gets us to contribute and exercise your spiritual gifts. And looking through this, it reminded me of 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. We live in a world and society where everything in our possession will either get eaten up by moths or get taken from us. 
Think about the last couple of weeks. America's favorite trusted banking system all over the place. Stocks go down, let's run to bonds. Bonds go down, let's run back to stocks. Where do you run now? Look at how fragile everything is. But the work that we do, the progress that we make, the investment, the gains that we make for the kingdom, never in vain. So I speak to you this morning that if you voluntarily benched yourself to the sidelines, thinking you have nothing to offer, or that maybe the time isn't right because you have too much on your plate as it is, that during this season of whatever is going on personally, things aren't just, you know, they're not quite lining up. My challenge and encouragement to you would be get in the field. Get your hands in the dirt. Get to the work. It's good work. It's work that God has invited us to be a part of. And the efforts that you make, that you put in, will never be in vain. The third, I think that Christian fellowship is an encouragement. There's something about knowing that people are right there with you, shoulder to shoulder, you against the waves of the world. Something about that just makes us take heart. We feel better. And I can't, I can't paint that more clearly than in the classroom. Whenever I give a quiz, and I know my students did not study, and I give back that quiz, it never fails. All it takes is one person. Ooh, that's my grade. Friend comes over. What's up? What grade you get? I'm not telling you. I'll tell you my grade if you tell me your grade. Okay, maybe. What grade you get? I got enough. <gasps> me too. <laughs> and then the two of you go over. What grade you get? I'm not gonna tell you guys. Why not? We'll tell you if you tell us. We got F's. <gasps> I got enough too. <laughs> Does that change a grade? No. Does that mean you passed? Definitely not. But for some reason, you feel better knowing that people are down there with you in the trenches, shoulder to shoulder. Mom, I'm not the only one that failed. <laughs> Somehow that just works. And here's the thing, Christian fellowship is an encouragement. It doesn't mean that the troubles of this world have faded. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily out of the valley. But we can share in each other's lives. All of these things help me to conclude that Christian fellowship is an integral, vital, necessary part of your and my Christian life. Hopefully today was a valuable use of your time. Looking at today's passage, it put me in a place of reflection and it brought to mind a lot of different things that if this is what it means to have Christian fellowship, I think about all the different fellowships, the different friendships that I have. I mean, you can have fellowships around a lot of different things. You can have a fellowship around food. You can have a fellowship around music. You can have fellowship around a ring. <laughs> Props to Tolkien. Anyway, I wish Hans was there. That, I really was thinking about that one. Anyway, let's move on. But here's the thing. I realize in my life, oh, Hans, you missed it. I'm sorry. That... 
But one thing I realized that you can also have fellowship around gossip. You can have fellowship around shared intel. You know this about these people because you hang out in that circle? Come over here, let's hang out. Tell me about that and I'll tell you what I know about mine. And so I hope that this morning will get you to think about the circles that you're in, the fellowships that you're a part of, knowing the criteria of what it means to have Christian fellowship, what that is meant to do, that it's a privilege, it's a responsibility. So don't run from it, and that it's an encouragement. Think about the different fellowships in your life. For some of us, it may mean that we have to rethink our participation. For some of us, it could mean that we need to recalibrate our contributions. For some of us, it may mean taking up that call and invest in the Christian fellowship that we're called to. As I was looking through this, and I'll end with this, I know oftentimes pastor, when he's up here, and and we hear him say it all the time, he calls us ministers. And I know what he means when, when he says ministers, ministering to the lost, ministering to those who need it. But as I look in the context of fellowship, how do we reach those people if we're not ministering to the people here? If you're not practicing and exercising your spiritual gifts here, what job are we gonna be able to do when those moments, opportunities come where we can impact the world? Thank you for your time. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your kindness to us, your generosity, your faithfulness. God, we thank you for all the blessings that you give to us. And Lord, we confess that maybe this morning sometimes we overlook the gift of fellowship. Father, this morning we pray that you would challenge our minds, challenge our hearts, challenge our thinking. Help us to value the things that you find valuable. Help us to care about the things that you care about. Help us to see the world in this church the way that you see it. Lord, we thank you for this time and for this day. We thank you for this gathering. Pray that you are always glorified and that you are pleased. It's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.